0: over footy on the big 550 KTRS. This is officially the first episode playing since your St. Louis City SC has clinched the MLS playoffs. In their expansion year, everybody, let's celebrate. Matt, how's it going? Couldn't be better. Uh, Nil-nil draw against the second
1: best team in the conference. It was a a weird night that we're going to recap a little bit before looking ahead to Minnesota, but... All of that kind of seems secondary to the fact that we are a playoff team in our first year. The first team in the Western Conference to qualify for the playoffs after so many national opponents wrote us off at the beginning of the year. And it's been a while since we've looked at what those predictions have been. But I thought it was a great opportunity on social media to kind of bring back all of those fourth 14th place 13th place predictions because when you're when you're the first team in your conference to qualify the, for the playoffs you've done something special in just general but let alone being an expansion team to do that it's unheard of
0: it's no secret that uh flyover footy is kind of a you know chip on the shoulder kind of a title of a of a podcast <laughs> and and I've always felt that way about the St. Louis Soccer and you know the pundits didn't didn't let us down this year. Extra time and all those pundits around the country, every single one of them thinking we'd be thirteenth, fourteenth. Um, I want to say publicly, I don't blame them for thinking that. That's typically what an expansion team does. But it feels so so good to have surprised the entire world, to prove them all wrong in this situation at least. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna dwell on it and enjoy it while I can. We have to. And I don't think there's any
1: malice behind the the dunking on the national pundits in the media. There's just some friendly jabs and back and forth. But it's like you said, I I don't blame anybody nationally from discounting St. Louis City SC. They don't they didn't follow us in the preseason. They didn't follow the roster build. They weren't as intimately familiar with what was going on with City 2 last year. The concept behind the system and getting everybody in early and the runway that that provides we were. And so that's why we took it personally on this show, especially mm-hmm. when we heard all of those, because we had a lot more detail and information to go off of. We knew the background so much better. We believed in this so much more than just being excited about being here. And we thought we could compete. So to see all of those thirteenth, fourteenth places, it was it, it was the start of the chip on the shoulder that we the start of that for MLS that we had begun with. USL and everything that was before this with Flyover Footy because it's one of the more fun things when people ask me, why is your podcast named Flyover Footy? Mm -hmm. Like, well, it starts with how everybody coast to coast thinks of Missouri, St. Louis as flyover country. And from there, it's easy. And when you have people with that perception and not even spending enough time on the intricacies of what's going on, and then you have a St. Louis team in their first year be the best team in a conference through 30 games, the first team to qualify, yeah, we're going to celebrate that as appropriately as we should.
0: Absolutely. I guess we could sum up this season and our feelings with that Michael Jordan and I took that personally gif uh, yeah. from the documentary. It feels very much like that. And in just like um, Michael Jordan, it, you know, they, they took it and run. It was kind of the the tackling fuel I keep mentioning. mentioning and we're not the only –
1: we're not the only ones doing that. Chris Gebhardt in the chat mentioned that today, the Missouri history museum commented that they, they took it to the next level, framing mm-hmm. the 29th place prediction by MLS soccer.com and putting mm-hmm. it in the, the soccer history museum exhibit that kind of, that kind of thing, like taking it to the next level of, yeah, we know what you thought of us and we know how, how well our team has performed and how proud we are of what St. Louis has done in this league. We're not going to let you forget about it.
0: Love it. Love it. Well, uh, that's just step one. You know, making the playoffs is step one. And we're in a position where that's maybe not enough for us here in St. Louis because the number one spot in the West is up for grabs. And I truly think everybody wants it badly uh, for multiple reasons. Right, Matt? We have four games left in the season. Uh,
1: the, there are two records that we're chasing as far as expansion teams go, and they're Atlanta United and LAFC in their initial expansion seasons. So looking at what we need to do to kind of reach those next milestones is part of what's left in these four games. Uh, we have LAFC, who had 57 points in 2018, finishing third in their conference. We had Atlanta United in 2017 with 55 points, finishing fourth in their conference. And so you look at the strength of schedule, the strength of teams in any given year, Points is something we're chasing, too. So we've got we've got things ahead of us in these next four games. We have we, we've clinched a playoff spot. It's likely that we've already ensured at least a seventh place spot if everything goes absolutely off the rails. So we're looking at securing a first round spot, not not in those wild card. We're looking now at home field advantage. We've talked ad nauseum on the show about how important home field advantage is knowing our home versus away record. So that to me is right up there. One A, one B when we're talking about how far this team can go. Securing home field is next. Bradley Carnell mentioned it on Thursday's press conference, is that they're looking at this one game at a time, but when they reach those milestones, they will celebrate it. He was texting the team last night, the middle of the night after everything was over and and letting everybody know, hey, we clinched take a moment to celebrate, mm-hmm. but it's business from here. And you get to the next game and the next game until you can say, we've secured home field, we've secured the conference. We can secure this greater than 57 points to be the all-time greatest expansion team. Like that's Those are the milestones we have to look forward to in these next four weeks. So yes, big moment to celebrate right now. We've come off a massive matchup against LAFC. We went toe-to-toe with them that we're going to look into in a moment. Celebrate now, but as we look forward to Minnesota, it's back to business and back to figuring out what's next for St. Louis City.
0: And if you listen to this show, you know uh, we've been laying out how difficult this last little stretch of games is. And, you know, I would, let's dig into LAFC because it is a perfect example. You know, I don't – i to kind of skip ahead a little bit, I don't know if St. Louis City has looked this bad, not for a long time, at the very least, at home against a team. And LAFC was a really uh, tricky out on this one.
1: Interesting, though, that you would uh, phrase it that way because I think in the sense of our attack – you could argue that we looked bad. There were some really interesting moments, especially in the second half, once we had shots on target and we started to have some opportunities, the the way that they were taken advantage of from individuals making individual efforts as opposed to distributing and, and working as a, as a team in the attacking third. But what I thought was really most interesting is. The lineup that we ran out there in a lot of ways can be seen as one of our best 11. We, mm. we talked a couple weeks ago, Santi and me on Flavor Fallout about what our best 11 could look like. And we we covered it on Flavor Footy uh, the other week that there are multiple iterations depending on what you need out of our lineup. And the lineup that we ran out against LAFC, I thought it was very much an attacking minded uh, lineup starting 11 when you have Anthony Markanik and Akil Watts as your fullbacks you obviously have Joachim Nilsson and Tim Parker as your center backs and then you pump in a diamond a 4-4-2 diamond so our midfield was Blom as the pivot Leuven on the left Vasilev on the right AZ Jackson as your 10 and you're trotting out Sam and and draw Klaus when in a lot of the moments Klaus was playing more of a false nine or an underneath second striker so to speak And and there's a lot of interesting looks that that gave, but it didn't really amount to much, at least in the first half. And we saw that in the XG, where the expected goals for St. Louis in the first half was just 0.18. LAFC had 0.41, which... Also, a pre, look, we have to pivot to talk about the defense in a minute, but is mm-hmm. nothing really. And so at City Park, that was a little bit of a disappointment to see that we couldn't break through the line. It got better in the second half, rising to .59, where you saw consistent opportunities from Sam Adeniran a few times, Nico Joachini when he came in. You had some. I thought our second half was a lot better offensively, but I do think defensively, it was it was quite the stellar performance against an LAFC team who themselves are typically high goal scorers.
0: I agree with everything you said you know i loved it was cool because i think lafc is typically considered one of the more you know we play beautiful soccer kind of teams in mls and i love that we pulled out the diamond to play them because i think that's kind of the uh considered the beautiful soccer formation now not in the way that st louis uses it necessarily and philadelphia does the same thing with the diamond and pressing uh but i loved that thought and no matter how you lay it out it is it is a more attacking uh, formation than a lot of what we've seen especially with um, arguably two two way pullbacks in the in the lineup and yes. i think that was my only worry going into this to kind of wrap up what your point was is can we defend against an LAFC with such an attacking lineup? Um, can we defend from the front? And the defending from the front was a little bit rough. There were We went a long time without more than a couple, maybe one or two um, uh, turnovers in LAFC's half. And that's usually... Our bread and butter and so that's when i started getting a little bit worried that we didn't get any chances off of turnovers in in the opponent's half early in the game maybe one or two that i missed but uh usually there's several in the first you know 20 minutes so i thought that was strange lafc looked like they were playing the game they came there to play and they just have so many weapons and each man was each weapon was kind of getting their chance uh, th- all over the pitch, they were just doing a really good job, and I worried because St. Louis wasn't controlling the game quite as much as a typical home game. Now I don't think they were out of their comfort zone, but that just talking about the first half, that's I wasn't feeling comfortable at this point.
1: You can see a little bit more possession than St. Louis was used to, and it kind of progressed as the game went along to where it ended with St. Louis actually having 52% possession. And this, we know historically St. Louis doesn't win matches when they have more than 50% possession. I think mm-hmm. a draw was a good result from this uh, because given the, the way the game flow progressed and especially after the subs came in in the second half, when you're, being, when you're possessing the ball as much as St. Louis did, that's not our bread and butter. It's not what we are typically efficient with. And so you're, you're looking at guys like Akil Watts, Anthony Marcanic, and as the game went on, uh, and we started to see some substitutions get in there, eventually... Uh, Thomas Ostrock, Jared Stroud, Nukvi Thoris, and the way that they changed up the wing look, it was, I think, uh, an attempt to battle LAFC in the wings. Uh, diamond formation really didn't give us a whole lot up front. I thought the some of the some of the dynamics between the fullbacks and the the wide midfielders was interesting at times, especially on the left side where Markanic and Leuven. And Bradley Carnell spoke to that a little bit with the diamond formation, really talking about how Edu Leuven mentioning how he's a great player on the ball. They gave him a lot of flexibility and freedom with the diamond and how Anthony Markanic reads the game really well. Carnell post game was saying that when Edu is outside, Markanic is inside. And so knowing when to flow where at any given point, and then talking about how LAFC themselves are good at the press. And so PPDA is a, a, a stat that we mention all the time on here. It's one of my favorites is because of St. Louis's style in highlighting high pressing teams versus teams that might sit back a little bit. And you're going to see a juxtaposition between LAFC and Minnesota in that LAFC is much more like St. Louis. They were very much a, a high pressing team and they'll push you. And so part of what Carnell said, the reason we ran with the diamond is to get around that, to give some of the guys some wider angles and to help progress the ball but I thought in progressing the ball that way, that's what led to our possession and our lack of numbers up front. And I never really thought that there were significant moments of bite from Sam Klaus and AZ it consistently enough to, to threaten. And the, the low XG, the low number of shots on target in the first half kind of highlighted this. I don't honestly have very many highlights in general to talk about in the first half. I mm-hmm. thought it was a dogfight, to say the least. I thought there were a lot of uh battles in the midfield in between the attacking thirds and when that happens you're really relying on guys like ilia sanchez versus Jabulu Blom in who can control the ball more i was a little i was impressed by ilia sanchez first of all like yeah. i always am I, th- I thought that uh the work that he does is very apparent i love watching the game from the ends because you can see these plays develop and when you see the way that Ilya Sanchez was playing so deep to LAFC's back line, he was able to really dictate where the ball goes. And that's why he is their, essentially their their quarterback of their team, is he he can, by himself, determine how they're progressing the ball. And that's by design. Conversely, I don't think Jaboulu Blom really had as good of a game as he had previously had. There's been some conversations about his overall passing effectiveness, which I didn't think was on display last night. I thought he was very quick to distribute the ball as opposed to carry the ball even when he had some open spaces and which would have allowed him to maybe create for others draw some people into him and then distribute where the openings lie he was more quick in, in getting the ball up the field as fast as possible and that led to a lot of uh, opportunities for LAFC to put pressure on us higher up the field and so those two those two styles back and forth between the defensive midfielders I think was one really interesting key to how this game continued to develop
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the first half, I think, were the two teams feeling each other out because you you mentioned several tactic moves that St. Louis and LAFC typically use in a game, and I think they both changed it up quite a bit, and neither one was doing what the other expected to do because I don't think St. Louis was choosing to press high every single time. I think they were worried about that counterattack and getting too many guys forward, at least early in the game. And so I found that, you know, St. Louis was possessing the ball in their own half, and they kept waiting to bait LAFC and just passing it around the back, and they never baited. They never went in for the bait. And so, you know, at that point, we saw Berkey launch it long to our two giant um, forwards, which I thought, great, I like this. Like, go ahead, don't press us. We'll just launch it forward. And um, I think we saw that that wasn't, useful in this game unfortunately and maybe it was just because lafc was prepared for it they were sitting back a little bit more i think than typical Um, but it was just like all these tactical wrinkles things were different and it's little i feel like it's a little taste of the playoffs because once the playoffs start there's this whole season of data that everyone kind of repairs for and then you see these changes you see these maneuvers of playing styles in in different tactical moves and so i thought this was really fun i wish i could get into the two coaches heads in this one throughout the game and, and hear them even talk about it. it'd be really fun because i think it was all over the place tactically
1: i do think this was interesting in the sense that previous games recently we've played teams that have very different styles than us and they are more possession based and so we can see There's St. Louis style, and there's whoever we're playing, Houston or otherwise, that they want to possess the ball, and they're willing to use their strengths in the midfield or in the channels, like with Sporting Kansas City, in how they can create opportunities by possession. LAFC's is more like St. Louis, where they they attack differently, but the intent is the same, where they don't want to possess the ball 60 percent of the time. They'll they'll possess it quickly, move the ball up very directly, and then try to do the same high pressing that St. Louis does. And so seeing how St. Louis plays teams like this, where it's not whose style is going to, it it really is whose style is going to win out. It's not whose style is going to be the better and the more effective. It's who's going to win out. Because you can't have two teams that don't want to possess the ball. And in that sense, St. Louis kind of was forced to possess a little bit more than I think we were comfortable with. We did get off a few, notable distributions up high. Berkey had an amazing distribution in the 75th mm-hmm. minute that was just a pinpoint accurate ball to Nico Joachini. But that kind of is a, a microcosm of what ended up happening where the ball might've been played from Markannick high or from Berkey high, even Watson Nerwinski, but nothing ever really came from it because the back line of LAFC was very, very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cialini it full credit to him and Carnell gave it to him after the game as well played himself a tremendously strong defensive game. And LAFC's backline did a great job of holding and preventing a lot of the back and forth, whether it's a Klaus heel kick or AZ passing it into space that wasn't there for St. Louis. And so our back their LAFC's backline stymied us quite a lot. And it led to some of these stat lines that we were not necessarily used to seeing, but I think that does lead to things like St. Louis outpassed LAFC, uh, 302 to 280, They LAFC led in shots, but St. Louis led on shots on target. So it very much was a back and forth in all of the key stat categories as well. And so you're looking at styles of play, who can win out, um, who ends up with more efficiency in their play. I I think this was a good test in a lot of respects as we go forward. And it hammers home the importance of home field advantage. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this game would have progressed differently Mm -hmm. if LAFC was the home team. And so knowing that St. Louis was able to go toe to toe, with a team that previously beat them 3-0, lineups aside, I mean, they they won 3 nothing, and we've been beaten by certain teams on the road that are of really high caliber, Seattle, RSL, like some of these top teams in the West, when we're away, it's always a different story when, we're, when we are at home. Real Salt Lake is about the only team, I think, that you could say they beat us at home when we were injury-plagued. But a healthy St. Louis team at home, I fully, fully believe can go toe-to-toe with any given team Win, draw, win in shootout, whatever it takes. And this kind of proved that point to me.
0: Completely agree. Um, I think that that game planning is a thing that we don't see as much in soccer as we do in some of the other sports that St. Louis has. And this game just felt like a game planning game that LAFC came in and enforced those statistics that we don't care to have and so Matt I think you laid that out very nicely you're listening to Fly Over Footy on the Big 550 KTRS match should we maybe figure out like p- nail down some of this game flow get kind of on a schedule here and move on or, or what would you yeah like to
1: do? we've got a few we've got a couple takeaways I think from this game some are really good and I I do think that Joachim Nilsson uh Chris Gebhardt in the chat mentioned it and that he's the one player I really want to hammer about uh the takeaway from here because he put his body on the line mm-hmm. we would be doing a disservice to him if we didn't mention him there were a lot of players who had good games Roman Berkey had a good game with I think uh three key moments is what Bradley Carnell said but otherwise a quiet night um, I thought that, uh, Thomas Ostrak was good at the six when he was asked to do something he doesn't normally do when he had to come in at the end of the game for Indiana Vasilev like full credit to him for keeping, helping to keep the clean sheet. That was a good performance. Um, Indiana Vasilev himself had a strong game. I think moving from different positions, Akil Watts going from right back to central defensive mid when he needed to like all, I mean, it was a full team effort, but Joachim Nilsson, the guy had, he was hit in the head. He was in the shoulders. He was hitting the legs. He was on the ground I don't know how many times. He was literally giving his body for this draw. Mm-hmm. And for for him in particular, we, we know the story, but over the past few weeks to see him almost hang on by a thread in a lot of ways where we're hoping he doesn't need his knee drained. We're hoping that <laughs> his groin is okay in certain scenarios. We're hoping he uh, he's able to, to play a full 90. And then to go with this performance, the full game, and, and have all of these different things occur during the game. Like, this is the St. Louis spirit that we we love from guys like Tim Parker and Jared Stroud, Indiana Vassilov, who are physical. They're putting their bodies on the line for what needs to happen. Joachim Nilsson had quite possibly, I think, the best game he's had in a city kit.
0: Completely agree. Um, I thought he was the player of the game just because of that. I, I thought he was all over the place and he was great. And uh, you know, I think it was really evident to the two styles of play, what is asked of the two teams' center backs and you know parker and Nilsson were sprinting um every probably 10 15 minutes in fact i worried they were sprinting too much in the beginning of this Luvin too um and then things settled down a little bit but you did not see mario and killini you know sprinting side to side to catch up with a counter-attack and so massive difference in styles of play in fact you know, if Keolini had to exert too much uh physicality, it felt like he just grabbed his ankle and went to the ground. Um don't think he was touched on the ankle once in the entire game. I was losing my dang mind during that. Um but, you know, just I, I say that mostly. <laughs> um to say that, you know, we ask a lot of our center backs and we you did. could see Nilsson's gears turning he's like you know i could tell there was once or twice where he was like i'm not sure i'm gonna get to this or i know if i go all out for this it's gonna hurt and you just saw him do what he had to do to win the game and it's that it's, for me it was like that bundesliga level player uh using his brain and his physicality and everything else every tool he has in the toolbox to kind of keep that zero keep that clean sheet at the end of the day and so i thought he did well Um, Not to give any less to anyone else. Um, No. Felt good about about the 0-0 draw. Matt, one more thing I just wanted to say is, like, if I could give the coach the player of the game in this one, I think I would. And I I think perhaps we could always look at a game and say, yes, he could have done better. He could have done something to get that goal, just that one goal. But I just love... There was a definite plan, and there was definitely chess moves throughout the match, and using the player subs... It could have gotten out of control. It could have gotten weird. We've seen some weird formations at the end of a game because Carnell will just throw players on just to try to get that win. And we got a little bit of that vibe. But it was cool to see the attacking rotation especially. You mentioned Klaus at the 9. And it just started with, um, I think, Joe Acchini coming in as, as a 10 for Azeal and mm-hmm. the two big guys up top. And then I think when Sam came out, it, it moved around a little bit. Klaus was kind of playing the 10 or a false 9. And, and yeah. Nico was... Extending the line running in behind and um, I just enjoyed watching that rotation. I love that St. Louis isn't a stringent positional team like the US national team. Uh He's not afraid to sub in and go crazy to try to get that win. It's so much fun to have a team that is fun to watch that our coach is willing to have fun with the lineup and, and give guys chances for the win instead of, you know, conservative play.
1: And on that note, I think the last thing I have to say about this game is that our attackers uh, going away, because this is a good takeaway conceptually going forward. Bradley Carnell said that they let Nico Jokini roam around in the 10. They let Klaus go underneath in the 10, trying that out. But the big thing to me is today, or at the Thursday press conference today when we're recording this, is that Bradley Carnell mentioned his willingness to go with three in the attack, three forwards mm-hmm. to end the game. So you, you you had Nico Joachini sub in for Aziel Jackson, so that brings on an extra forward, but you're playing Klaus underneath, you're playing Nico underneath. When Nuke v. Thorson entered the game for Sam Adeneron, you fully had those three attackers because Thorson was playing up front an awful lot on the left side. You had Thorson, you had Joachini, and you had Klaus. And Carnell said at the press conference that he wanted to do that, because that's those were their best players and he wanted to get their best Mm -hmm. players out there because they earned it and he wanted to see them all in the field at the same time and he felt that they weren't sacrificing anything defensively the fact that thorson came in at 78 we were able to have three attackers and like three full attackers not just pulling back one into the 10 but three full attackers and kept a clean sheet the rest of the way that says just as much to the rest of the game or to any one of these moments or these importances that we're able to roll out different different variations of our formations and lineups having different personnel 5 at the back, 3 at the back, 3 at the front, wing backs, whatever it is, when you can run those out and try to see what's effective offensively while still keeping your shape and keeping your principles defensively, that that is a that's a foundation to build off of. To know that you are confident enough to put those players on the field Uh, together at once not not concede that that is as much of any uh knowledge going forward on what you're capable of and what options you have that can work that you need anywhere else and so that's that's a takeaway for me going forward is that three at the front is now a viable option because of how strong we were showing us defensively to end that game
0: yep and, you know, those chances weren't being taken quite as much before Nilsson. So it's just a little nope. mental note there that I just kind of realized. Uh, let's move on. You're listening to Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for joining us. And now we're going to do a little bit of previewing the Minnesota United game that's coming up. Only a couple of days after this Wednesday night brawl against LAFC. So, Matt, why don't you get us started with some fun facts about this matchup?
1: three days rest st louis we all know clinched a playoff berth first team in the western conference to do so sitting first place in the west with 50 points through 30 games just the third expansion team in the modern mls era to get to 50 points in their expansion year 15 10 and 4 record with 56 goals scored 38 goals against and a plus 18 goal differential going into minnesota important to remember we are five seven and three for our away record our form in the last few games, we drew LAFC midweek, we drew Houston last weekend, and we drew the LA Galaxy. We are, oddly enough, we've had three draws in our last three games, whereas in the 27 games before, we only had two draws. Kind of an interesting uh, juxtaposition to what our what our recent capabilities are and plans are compared to what we had been doing beforehand. Roman Berkey picked up his eighth clean sheet against LAFC, so we have eight clean sheets. We haven't won a game since midweek against FC Dallas. So run a former draws um, Dallas and then Austin are our two wins since the league's cup break. Uh, we haven't won away since July 8th at Toronto. So that is something to keep in mind where draws have been the name of the game lately. Winning away has still somewhat eluded us. That's that's important for city on the flip side, Minnesota United not doing too well on their end. They've dropped to 10th place in the West. They're currently outside looking in on the playoffs. With 37 points through 29 games, a 9, 10, and 10 record with 37 goals scored, 38 goals against, a minus one goal differential. They're 3-3-8 and at home. They are drawing like crazy throughout this season. Their form in the last three games, they've got a 4-3 loss against the Galaxy midweek, which <laughs> y- you can't do anything but describe that as a dagger. Yeah. Up three, up three, one at half. They lose Reynoso, who we're gonna get to in a minute. And then they concede, they have a red card, and then they lose the game. Just an absolute dagger to go into the St. Louis matchup. Before that, though, they lost to Sporting Kansas City last weekend. And then before that, they drew the New England Revolution the week before 1-1. Just like us, they have eight clean sheets on the year, only two since the League's Cup break. Their last win was August 30th at home against Colorado 3-0. They have had some interesting acquisitions, and I'll I'll say – or. Arrivals. Let's say arrivals, mm-hmm. because one's an acquisition, one's a return. Since the last time they played St. Louis, so since the last time they played St. Louis, which was our sixth match of the entire year, and they ended our five and zero start to the season, um, they've been three three and three in MLS play since Timu Puki arrived in July through the transfer window. So they they acquired Puki from Norwich, and he was supposed to be their number nine, their their goal scorer. They they haven't had a, a stellar record since his arrival. Emmanuel Reynoso is the other player. So their designated player who had a, a, a sorted off offseason and didn't arrive. He, I don't know if he held out, if he wasn't allowed in the country, if he had legal troubles, whatever the issue ended up being. He wasn't with the team until June. When he rejoined the team in June, they've been just 4-4-6 four, four, and six in MLS play since. This past week, uh, along with the player availabilities that they have issues with season-long injuries, Reynoso himself is, I would say, questionable. They haven't given an official designation at the time of this recording, but they're missing Ray Jiba, Robin Lode, and Kevin Ariega for season-ending injuries, all with knees. But Emmanuel Reynoso is the biggest one to watch. He was subbed off at halftime against the LA Galaxy match with a thigh injury that he originally suffered against Sporting Kansas City last weekend, and he... It it was said by Adrian Heath post-game. He said, quote, with it being 3-1, which it was at half, they were up. He said it was starting to stiffen up. Heath goes on to say, I didn't want to risk it because I know what that's like. I know what he's like. He would have stayed on for the whole 90 minutes. We have to look at the big picture as well. Hmm. We have three huge home games coming up that probably will define our season. So looking at Reynoso in particular and what his impact can be, he's questionable to go because of this thigh injury. But if you take Adrian Heath at his word... At face value, it seems like Reynoso will play against St. Louis. And a, a, a Emmanuel Reynoso team is different than Minnesota United without. And so what we saw at the beginning of the season may be an indicator in how they, they pass the ball and how they progress it and what their low block might be on defense. But with Reynoso in the game, anything's possible up front.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they play through them. It's just like the classic main uh, DP designated player on your team in MLS. <laughs> you have that one playmaking guy that you just get the ball to, and, and that's just a way to score throughout the whole season, and yep. he's exactly one of those. Um, big stories. Let's keep pushing here, Matt. I know we've got uh, a lot knocked out, but we have some big stories and some style yeah. to play if you'd like to touch on that a little bit as well.
1: I think the biggest one to watch for is just the injury to Reynoso. Is he gonna be available? What's his status gonna be going into the game? Because that could change a whole lot
0: of things. Also <laughs> clearly silent play, like just defend, counter, low block, and give it to Reynoso, right? That's Minnesota, Anna. <laughs> it it kind of
1: is. And so you look at both sides so intangibly, I do want to address some of the intangibles in mindsets going into this match. So Minnesota, we mentioned coming off that rough defeat. They're now on the outs for the playoffs. What is going to be their mindset and their willingness to go all out to get a win? Do they view this as a must-win game? Because in a lot of aspects, you should say, yes, they do view this as a must-win game, especially getting back on track. I think with the stretch of five games they have left, if they if they lose at home, that's that's going to be really disheartening going forward to try and make this push back into the playoffs. But does St. Louis have a bit of repu- uh, retribution on the mind? So Minnesota mentioned ended their historic 5-0 start at City Park with a 1-0 win it came on a penalty kick, so it's not like they had any sort of uh, massive game flow effectiveness against us, or the fact that they were they were always hammering us. You know, no, it was a pretty even matchup until a Ky- Kyle Hebert penalty call, and it was it was a, not a smart play, but. No goals in the run of play allowed against Minnesota in that game. Will St. Louis be able to find a different approach? Will St. Louis rotate? That's a big story for me, is this is our third game in eight days. We're going to have a week off before sporting Kansas City, so what lineup are we going to run out? Mm. Thinking some names out here, Jake Nerwinski, Akeel Watts, you look at who's played recently. Both of them have seen significant time over the past couple of games. Josh Yarrow might be an option for Joachim Nilsson, who mentioned how physical his game against LAFC was. Could we see a Yarrow appearance? Tomas Ostrak came in late. We could see Salio Pompeu. Is this a time that Nukvi Thorsen can start? Maybe Kyle Hebert makes a return. Would we rest Klaus? Like, these are questions, given the context of the past two games, that you really have to think about. And I often go back to that San Jose Earthquakes game, where you had a, a, a game in a period of three days, you rotated four players, and all of a sudden, those four players took their opportunities and ran with it. Sam, Akil, AZ, and Josh Yarrow. And that became a core of our team for a period of time so do we try something different here where bradley carnell goes with this approach of whoever's in the best form who's ever fit and who's ever kind of next man up philosophy who's ready to go who's in the best form to to compete because we know that he's kind of formation second player readiness player form first and he'll make whatever formation fits the model for who we're playing against but that also goes to kind of the big story here of who we're playing against. Um, LAFC and Minnesota are vastly different teams. And so uh, another component of this is going off of three days rest, three three days between games, where your opponents are incredibly different. Bradley Carnell said in the Thursday press conference, we look at references of what we did before, what the Galaxy did last night. We have a lot of video, interesting tidbits we put together based on data, who's fit and healthy for us. We know there's two tails for this Minnesota team. They're difficult to break down when they're on the road it's a different for them at home versus away from home. And that's kind of an interesting thought. So looking at I mean you we could talk for days about their formations, they usually run 4-2-3-1. We could talk about how they move the ball up and how their midfielders drive everything from Will Trapp to um Jihani Dotson. Their their midfielders really run things up to Reynoso when he's in the game. They have a similar uh possession uh style of St. Louis where basically the the back half, the middle between the channels of the defensive half is where they possess. Otherwise, they kind of go out quickly. The passing over the last few games, very interesting to me because you do see a little more propensity for attacking when they're at home. We saw the low block in person. We saw what that's like and how difficult that was for St. Louis to break down when Minnesota was on the road. But what do they look like when when they're at home and they have these opportunities to be more attacking. And that's, I think what Carnell was alluding to is looking at the passing networks of the last three games, you're seeing higher average positions for guys like Will Trapp and Johanny Dodson and Jan Gregoose. Like these guys are are in significantly different positions when they're at home. And whether you, you say it's a home crowd dynamic, or if it's just something uh, subconsciously that Adrian Heath does with his team or what the players do, they seem to be taking a little more chances. They have more shots, more shots on target at home versus away so it's an interesting dynamic I think that Carnell pointed out that we may defensively we may see a low block but we also may see more opportunities for a counterattack if Minnesota is a little more open with the the kind of offense that they're throwing at city. Hmm. That's a that, that would be the really big opportunity that city has going into this is inviting Minnesota in a little bit more continuing to be willing to let them possess the ball more than more than uh, they did in the first game. And then just hitting them on the counter, being being very clinical on the wings and the channels. Minnesota loves to clog up the midfield. Their their passing networks show that they they live in the midfield with six players in the attacking end when they're at home, and they usually have their two fullbacks out wide, significantly wider, and around midfield, uh, defensive midfield areas. So there's an opportunity there to really break free if we can have two or three of our attackers string some things together
0: yep and i I, talking about the schedule uh i think that's going to be a massive i'm going to come back to that way back to that i just want to kind of say that you know after this game there is a week of rest before kansas city but it's only uh, like four or five days i think four days before vancouver and then a long yeah. break for the international long break. break. Um, so it's weird. Yeah. And so I guess I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what happens in this one, because I think we might see a repeat of whoever's needing rest uh, to be a repeat um, when we get to the Vancouver game. And, you know, I, I want to say that Luven looked pretty tired last night. I don't know if you felt that way. But Leuven didn't quite look like himself in this last one. I think he either had a weird game or he's getting tired. And so, you know, yeah. we saw him rest a game recently. It was a big shocker. But honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if, if he misses the first 60 minutes of this next game. That said, um, you know, we just heard um, if you listen to that uh, Tim Ream podcast, I finally started listening to it regularly. Um, West McKinney said he'd rather play every three days than, you know, have once a week, um, just for keeping informed. Now he's a younger guy. So I'm just curious, I don't know what each player is gonna feel like. Probably all of them want to play every single game, but I'm curious who's gonna get a rest in this one. And then looking at the way that Vancouver plays, I thought Sam w- was good in his style of play and then, when we were forced to lump it forward, I was kind of braggy about having two really huge guys up top, but that's strangely not Sam's forte, or at least it wasn't in this game against LAFC. And so with a low block, um, I'm actually leaning toward, if we just go with style of play, I think this might be a a Nico and Klaus game. And so um, I'm not sure how anyone else will feel about that, but Sam seems to be just loving the counter Pushing out to the wings and getting some people on uh, the defense on their on their back foot. It's what he thrives at. And then he's able to get some set-piece headers in. And so I'm curious to see what will happen with St. Louis as far as their uh, lineup and resting and who's going to be good against this low block more than likely that we're going to see against Minnesota.
1: Yeah, and and that's a good point about Sam. And I think not just the the stylistic matchup, but it, it was telling Nico Jokini didn't start against LAFC. And his growth as a striker who can hold the line, we don't typically think of him in that regard. We think of him as more creative and a playmaker, a second striker. But with Klaus out, I think we, we were able to see a growth in his game. Mm-hmm. And so I, I personally would be comfortable with him Right alongside Klaus or even starting in a four two three one by himself yeah. to start the game. And knowing that knowing that Klaus went uh the full ninety again, knowing that Sam went seventy-eight against LAFC, and Klaus is coming off two games going ninety. So that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. I, I can't I can't see Klaus starting this game. Like I, I just don't like I would be surprised, not shocked, I would just be surprised if having started two games first two games back playing the full ninety and then three days later, another 90. That seems like a lot. When you have a guy like Nico Joachini, who is this is a perfect opportunity for him. Heck, you could even go with Joachini and Thorson if you wanted up top as a perfectly fine and an interesting uh, two-striker combination that I, mm-hmm. I would be I'd very be very intrigued to see how Thorson's direct-to-goal nature can play off this while Nico Joachini could be a line-holding striker. And and knowing that, knowing that Minnesota stretches themselves or they they, they're very a tight team when they're at home and so they stretch the field a little bit more but they're very compact in their passing yeah i i'm i'm intrigued in how our midfield is going to attack this because one thing we haven't really talked about too is Jabulu bloom i mentioned how i was a little disappointed in some of his distribution in the game against lafc post game bradley cornell had some kind of interesting comments about Jabulu bloom in the sense that he's got a foot thing going on we didn't we didn't get any clarification Today about what the foot thing is, but it was also very, um, I'll just say, troublesome mm. to hear that he apparently took some medication that was messing with his stomach, and and he wasn't able to get right at halftime, and that's why he was subbed out at 58 minutes, and so I don't want to I don't want to make any kind of uh, wild guesses. I'm just saying it's it's something to follow, and it's kind of worrisome that that uh, happened. And so from a foot perspective, from a medication perspective, we just hope that he gets right. And he's healthy, he's fit, and he's able to go because a, a healthy and fit and in-form is a game changer, mm-hmm. especially defensively. And that, that could be a big thing to watch for. Um, Indiana Vasilev, another individual player, I wonder if he's able to go uh, at least to start. I would be surprised, given the fact that he was so gassed at the end of the LAFC game. If he's a starter in this next game, I think it's a perfect opportunity for guy like uh, Jared Stroud to get back in the starting lineup he only entered in the 78th minute so we've got a lot of interesting people personnel that St. Louis can roll out but Phil real quick before we go because I know we're running out of time my keys to the game I want to get those in keys to the game for me are for St. Louis to create space wide pulling the Minnesota low block apart as you work through because I don't doubt that Minnesota is going to try and have us possess the ball it's going to happen from time to time Even in transition moments where we can stretch their their back line wide, create some spaces for Tomas Ostrak or any of our midfielders and our second striker to get in underneath, that's going to be huge. But we also have to protect against counterattacks, remain strong centrally, and prevent a lot of the link-ups between the lines. I mentioned Will Trap and Hassani Dodson. The midfielders progress the ball really well, and they're the leaders in a lot of their passing categories, especially passing categories and getting the ball into the final third. Will Trap is huge for that. He's going to be who the ball moves through as they progress it from the back line through to the front line. And so, if we can shut him down, take away his space, make him uncomfortable, we're going to have a lot of success in preventing the ball from effectively moving up. And 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 that's that's probably where a lot of the keys will lie in when Minnesota possesses the ball is put pressure on. Uh, Will Trapp and Hassani Dotson
0: and we noticed in the last game against Minnesota uh, that they don't unlike us yes it's a low block yes it's compact but we try to get the ball away from them up high on the pitch and they just we just attack high um, and look for the ball wherever it is they wait for a pass it seemed like and once that pass got to someone near the midfield or further they pounced on that player and so and they're more compact there's less field to deal with and so it's much easier to get to that person quickly and they do that they do a very good job they're really good at interceptions and turnovers and dual percentages and that's something that gives us trouble so you know Minnesota is a matchup uh, freak against someone like City and so uh, you know it will be a tough game but we don't have to worry about that yes LAFC was good at some of that as well but Minnesota doesn't have the punchback power that uh, LAFC does. So I'm curious how uh, Carnell will attack this one. I, I agree with every uh, key to the game you had there, Matt. But I think we better close it up if we can with yep. lineup predictions.
1: Lineup predictions and score. I, I heard feedback that we didn't give a score prediction last week. and I there was love
0: a- when we forget the score prediction.
1: Yeah, and I had a, I had the right score from the last week. It was that one one Houston. So we got to get ours in. My lineup prediction. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's kind of obvious what the formation I think would be, uh, either a four four two or uh, potentially a four two three one. Kyle Hebert, I think, is back in the lineup. Hebert, Yarrow, Parker, Nerwinsky. Hmm. I think we're gonna. And, and I could see. I could see Watts being there, but I'm I'm iffy on Blome. So part of Nerwinski being in the lineup is. Akil Watts starting in the midfield. Um, I do have Edu Leuven in there. Nuke V. Thorson, Tomas Ostrak, Salio Pompeo, and Nico Joachini. I have a heavily rotated lineup, and I'm maybe just preparing myself mentally for that possibility, but as, as opposed to willing it into existence
0: a few things I really loved about your lineup. I don't think that'll be this quite this ro- uh, rotated, but I Dang love it. having Hebert in there, but I want Watts at right back. If we're going to have Hebert in there. And I agree with That's you. Fair. I do think Hebert's going to play um, to rotate out a little bit there. My scary part is who's going to play the two sixes. Who's going to be in that double pivot. And someone's going to have tired legs in this one. In my yeah. opinion, I would like to kind of see Blome out. I'd like to see Lubin, Push himself and play 60 at least in this game. Next to um, next to Indy, who ran hard, and both of them ran hard in this last game. So I'm not sure that'll happen. That's what I would give, uh, risk in this one. But I would rotate a lot of the other. I think Azil. I think Az can play another 60. So I put him at the, at the 10. And I really think this is a Thorsson game. This is you got to put in Thorsson. I love that you put in Ostrak. Because I would actually like to see him start this one, just personally, I think yeah. it'll be Stroud. Uh, but I'd like to see Thor and Ostrak in this one with Gio Akinde up top.
1: You know, I I I'm backtracking on mine, and I I don't usually do this, but I I am going to say Az is going to start this one. Yeah. I, I he was also at the press conference on Thursday. He's, he's facing his former team, in yes. Minnesota. Bradley Carnell loves those kinds of stories. You're right. I I overlooked that. Az is going to start in this one, and who he starts for in my lineup. Anyone's guess, it could be Watts sliding back at right back and then AZ in the midfield. Um, Stroud might find his way in there. There's a lot of options, but I, I this is my takeaway. I would not be surprised to see a rotated lineup. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean we're punting anything because remember back to the San Jose, the the Colorado, the Toronto games. Rotated lineups can lead to massive success if players are performing at the level that we think they can
0: and a game like this, I think the blue-collar team scrimmage can kind of win this one. I think so. Uh, let's do our our goal uh, guesses before we get out of here. I'm gonna say one-zero city. It's gonna be close, but if they keep that clean sheet with Nilsson in there, added in there, I think uh, we could pull away a one-zero win. Maybe a handball in the box. Who knows? Oh my God! Can we be
1: done? can we please be done with the handball conversations? Please. Just one game. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go one one. I think we're gonna pull away a point, and it's gonna be a good point. I think going into Minnesota, knowing what they need to do, stealing two points from them, and getting a draw, that'll be a good performance.
0: Love it. Thanks for joining me, Matt. Great stuff as always. We're flyover footy on the big 550 KTRS. We're clinched, everybody. It feels good. Now let's get that number one spot locked away. We'll be watching together Saturday night against Minnesota. Bye-bye, everybody. Go City. Welcome back to the Wine Down. Uh, This is normally where Matt Baker pops his beer and we kind of talk about what we're drinking and and, and chill out a little bit after that, um, you know, dense segment of information you just heard. You're about to get the opposite and we have a special guest for that. Uh, My guest is Julian Trejo. I hope I said that right. Is that correct? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Good enough. That's the Americanized <laughs> version. <laughs> uh, but he's in, in, in. He is the inaugural fellow for the River City Journalism Fund. All of his work is covering St. Louis City, SC, which is what he's going to talk about with us as well. And that's funded by the foundation, so that's so cool. Uh, Julian, how's that? How's it going, man?
2: I'm doing really good. Doing really great. Uh, yesterday, you know, for the LAFC game was the very first midweek matchup that I've been to and um, it was kind of crazy being at school all day and then in the evening going to that game Mm. Um, it was just like what am I doing here right now I was actually doing homework before kickoff for like two hours I was doing homework (laughs) So that was, that was kind of like, uh, because usually when I get there, I lay there a little bit early. I'm just like, you know, on my phone scrolling. But this time I'm like, I actually had to do homework. So it's kind of like, oh, man,
0: <laughs> that's not fun. And I had a similar feeling. You know, I got back from work and then I did the dad thing. I can't remember. I went to a, a choir practice. And so <laughs> and then immediately I got home and left for the game. So it's just like, yeah, those those Wednesday night games are a real strange um, but let's talk about that. I mean, you're going to WashU, I believe. Is last time mm-hmm. we talked is, yeah. is where you're going. You have this fellowship thing going on. You're writing for the fellowship, and your work's being published on RFT and maybe other th- other places. Tell me all about this stuff. I guess let's start with the fellowship for sure.
2: Yeah. So this it's a really long story. So basically, I took in my college writing class fall semester my freshman year. Uh, My professor was Chris King, who, I mean, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar, but he used to be the editor at the St. Louis American. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we had, like, these assignments where we had to go interview a professor, a professor that we did not know at all. So, like, part of the assignment was reaching out to, like, a random professor and holding a 45-minute interview with them about their research. And so I found this random education professor that I never met before. And I talked to her for like over an hour and a half. I went way past the time, but I just talked to her about her research, about her life and just all kinds of stuff. And um, I sent the audio recording to my professor and he's like, Julian, you know, I listened to this and like, you know, it was really good. Like, you're obviously really good at talking to people and like asking questions and just like, you know, letting the conversation flow. And obviously, you know you're you're a pretty good writer and stuff. So, you know, have you ever thought about being a journalist before? Hmm. And I was like, no, I never actually, no. And then he's like, well, you know, I have this friend. His name is uh, Richard Weiss, and he's starting this foundation, and it's for um, young writers who are from marginalized communities to get their starts in journalism. Wow. And um, I really think you should talk to him. So, fast forward like a month or two, I meet this guy, Richard. And um, he's telling me, he's like, yeah, you know, like this foundation, you know, we're really focusing on like St. Louis issues. And like, we're trying to focus like on social justice and like, you know, like education, reform, just like serious issues. And I was like, man, like, you know, like, mm, I don't really know a lot about St. Louis. Cause you know, like I'm saying at that time, I was a freshman, my very first semester, I didn't have a car yet, nothing. So I was like, I don't really know if I'm interested in that. Cause you know, I, I'm also a full-time student. Like, there's no way I can do that. Like, go create a story, interview people, research, and then on top of school, like, no way, mm-hmm. no way. And then, you know, I, I told him, like, oh, let me think about it for, like, a week or two. And during that time, I realized, oh, my God, there's a soccer team in St. Louis. There's a brand-new soccer team. <laughs> and, you know, I played soccer my whole life. I played a club in high school soccer. And then I was like, you know what? The worst thing can happen if I ask him if I could write about this team is that he'll tell me no. He'll just mm-hmm. tell me no, and, like, that's it, and I just don't get to do it. So then the next time I had a meeting with him, I gave him this whole big pitch. I was like, you know, he just told me that this foundation is about, you know, St. Louis issues. There's this new soccer team coming to St. Louis. From what I know, you know, St. Louis is a pretty big soccer city. There's a lot of hype for this team. Like there's this, blah, 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 just like, you know, giving it to him. Then he's like, okay, you know, I'll think about it. And then my, you know, kind of like my, it was like a tryout, honestly. It was a tryout. My very first piece was um, about the supporters groups. So I wrote about, uh, the Luligans, Florida noise and no nap city. So, you know, I reached out to the, the people got interviews and wrote that whole story. And that was just like my pilot. Mm -hmm. Like if it went good, we were going to go with it. And if it didn't, I'm sorry, but no, thank you. (laughs) And, you know, thankfully, you know, as you know, you know, the city fan base is crazy. And like, if they really get behind something, they can make it happen. And I think they really, really enjoyed that story. And, you know, the, Richard was like you know what I think this is going somewhere we like this I think for you know I'm the first fellow for the foundation they're like you know soccer is obviously picking up here in the city it's popular this is a brand new foundation we like to like you know try and get in on that and they gave me the opportunity and it's been wild so far.
0: Yeah, it's so cool that that happened all at the same time. And it's pretty cool that you came in and you were ready. Because was it intended to be for soccer? It wasn't. It was more for... No. Yeah, that's what I thought. So it's super cool that all of this happened at the same time. And I, I from what I've seen from you, like the reason I, I've been wanting to call you up and, and bring you on the show for months. And uh, it's just because like we see you in the press room. You're asking good questions. You clearly are intelligent. <laughs> I enjoy your articles, and I was like, man, we got to see if he's willing to come on the show, um, and you you were up Thank for you. it, so thanks, man, um, but clearly, uh, St. Louis has a good thing on their hands, it's you, U um, <laughs> has a good thing on their hands, I'm glad it worked out, um, so that's really mm-hmm. cool, um, is, so how old are you, actually, I'm curious?
2: So I just turned 19 in the summer. Dang.
0: I thought you might get yeah. 20 something. Like you can't. Even drink. I, everybody keeps saying that. Everybody keeps saying
2: that. I, I really, really, really hate, you know, having to be reminded that I'm almost not a teenager. I'm almost 20. Like, I don't want to think about that. I want to just stay 19 for right now. No, at this stage of life, that's a,
0: that's a definitely a good thing though. Um, yeah. So you're going to Washi. What are you going to Washi for?
2: Uh, yeah. Right now I'm studying uh, psychology and education. Cool those are my major so like yeah nothing to do with journalism communication (laughs) writing english nothing like that i'm just i'm just pursuing two interests basically Mm -hmm. you know the foundation is just like honestly it just came at an amazing time it's like one of those things where i needed a job i needed money and i really like soccer Mm -hmm. and it just came together for me so yeah it's been a blessing so far but my interests are definitely still like you know education um, supporting you know students who are at risk students who are from marginalized communities making sure you know they can like understand that despite their limitations or their circumstances they could still you know achieve good things and you know like academics is the way forward for students like that so, so those type of things that i'm interested in i'm still pursuing them in school
0: yeah and so that community is arkansas and yeah. <laughs> you, you grew up playing soccer in Arkansas, which I do know is like a thing, you know, like I know there's like uh, hype for a USL team, I think, in, in Arkansas and Little We're Rock. We're getting a,
2: a USL team, actually, in, where I'm from, Northwest Arkansas and Rogers. It's set to launch in 2026, I think, the year of the World Cup It's nice. supposed to be the launch year. Yeah, so that's going to be huge. The stadium is going to be like... 10 minutes from my house. It's supposed to be like a 5,000 seater. You know, not like huge, but you know, a good size. It's supposed to be really nice, so yeah, I'm excited for that. Well, it's massive for a not a huge town to get Yeah, uh, not a huge economy. market. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's Maybe. massive as much as i don't like to admit that you know i i really hate the whole narrative like oh my god arkansas is rural it's like you know a bunch of country yeah i can't understand that you know my part of arkansas i think it's pretty suburban uh-huh. in the grand scheme of things it's still like a pretty small you know sm- soccer market and stuff like that but I'm, I'm just happy that's coming soon to our city
0: me too and and uh, you know i come from obviously i rooted for st louis fc back in the day but i covered the usl like i was part of the, a podcast called the usl show and so you know, rooting for lower division soccer has always been in my blood. And, and to some extent, <laughs> rooting for an MLS team kind of hurts me a little
2: bit. It's not <laughs> in my
0: heart. So, uh, But no, that's really cool. I'm really happy for your community that, that that's happening. But, um, you know, you said you played college. You know, wait, sorry. You said club soccer, high school soccer. Yeah. Tell me about your your soccer experience in Arkansas.
2: Yeah. So I first started playing soccer when I was seven years old. Uh, I started playing soccer and my grandfather got me into it. And um, I first started, I feel like this is the traditional story of every goalkeeper. I started as striker. They're like, he's not that good. Let's put him in midfield. Ooh, he's not that good. Put him in defense. You know, anybody can play defense. Then he's really slow. He's kind of out of shape. Let's just put him in goal. And then I just stayed there ever since. Hilarious. Uh, so yeah, I started like, you know, training to be actually a goalkeeper. It took him two years to figure out that I was not any good on the field. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was nine years old, yeah, I started playing goalkeeper um uh, at that point it was just recreational just my local church leads and stuff like that and then you know i got started in club soccer when i was 12 yeah U 12 something mm-hmm. like that and that was man club soccer like especially you know going to the games and stuff it's just like it makes me miss it so much it makes me miss just being on a team and just the emotion and just like the trash talk and just yeah. uh the preparations it's i miss it so much but yeah um uh, uh, we played on a travel team um uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I got to travel, you know, thankfully across the South because of soccer. If it wasn't for soccer, like, I probably would have never left Arkansas, mm-hmm. ever. Um, Yeah, so that was really good. And then I got obviously start playing high school soccer. That was just, like, a whole different dynamic because, you know, club soccer is just, like – your parents and you know your family they go watch the game it's not it's not getting like too wild the games are definitely more competitive they're more fun Mm -hmm. but in high school you're playing for your school you got your friends in the stands like in a little stadium it's just a different vibe Um, (laughs) you might be trying to impress someone in the stands. yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah. so there's pros and cons to both but yeah i definitely from covering the team it's made me miss playing so much and just being on a team not even necessarily playing because i still play like intermule and stuff Mm -hmm. but you know being on a team and, like, playing games that, like, actually matter, that mean something, that have some, like, competitive edge to them. Like, I like to think I'm pretty competitive at, in nature, and I just miss that aspect of just, like, uh, just being able to say, like, oh, I, we beat them. Like, oh, these guys are always talking trash to us, and we just get to beat them again and again. But, yeah. Well, I've been thinking about embarrassing myself
0: with uh – with uh, recreational soccer leagues again so <laughs> i can uh, drag you with me if you're up for a good laugh i've
2: yeah. seen there's like uh it's like on facebook i think it's like a pickup soccer st louis pickup or something like that i've seen it on twitter too i think
0: it's the best place um, to go if you just want to go to a game the next day and just if, especially if you're like i'm a goalkeeper you'll get a million <laughs> messages you're good oh
2: i don't play goalkeeper no more now nah. yeah. I'm, I'm, i just <laughs> play on the field i um i broke i don't know if you can see but i have like a scar you probably can't see I broke and dislocated my wrist uh my junior year of high school yeah Mm. from playing so ever since then you know it just hasn't really been the same i have two plates 18 screws well it's just uh, it's not the same so it's like as soon as like you know i was uh, able to retire you know my club career was over high school was over i was like i'm done yeah i'll just play on the field have some fun fair enough yeah well
0: i'm just curious in northwestern arkansas i don't want to like uh i don't want to um what am I looking for? I don't want to assume. Goodness, I don't want to assume uh, that it's that way. But in St. Louis, it's pretty common to play soccer. Is it common to play soccer as a as a youth in that area? Or is like oh, baseball, football, be- bigger? I
2: don't know what it's like. Yeah. So like I said, like, I like to preach that my, my area of Arkansas, so I'm from Northwest Arkansas, yeah. which if anyone's familiar of the university of Arkansas Fayetteville. Mm-hmm. That's where, you know, that's around the area I'm from. Okay. Um, so my city specifically is called Springdale and we have like a huge, huge Hispanic population. Oh, okay. So like my high school, actually, my high school was like 90% Hispanic. Hmm. So if you think of Arkansas, you don't think of that, but that was my, that was my upbringing in Arkansas. That's the part I was from. And so, So you know, it's very natural. Oh Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Soccer is huge. Soccer is big, big, big in in my area of Arkansas, Cool. which is why, you know, there's going to be that USL team coming because there is actually like a support and like people for it, basically an audience. Right on.
0: So yeah well let's um let's shift over to why everyone's here um is to talk about st louis city let's talk about city and you since you're a goalkeeper and you uh were telling me before that you know your first or one of your the first time you got to talk to berkey was like super memorable i think was it your second article or something it was pretty early on wasn't it
2: yeah at this point um it was actually right before um i left I left for the summer. So I think I interviewed him in early April.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I interviewed him in early April. And then obviously, you know, towards the end of the semester, he got finals, final papers and stuff like that. So I told the RFT, like, I'll interview him at the beginning of the month and then I'll probably end up publishing it, you know, like towards the end, cause of all the schoolwork I just wanted to get it out of the way. Mm. And so this was actually, you know, I was already a couple months into it, but yeah, I, I set it up with, uh, John, John Gasparoni, the media guy, shout out John. I love John. He's <laughs> helped me so in so many ways. Um, and yeah, I remember I caught Berkey at the end of practice, again the training. Um, he had to go get showered, do everything, blah blah blah. I was waiting in the lobby for like 15 minutes, which I did not mind at all. I was like, yeah. still, if anything, it was a good thing because it didn't like let me calm down, you know, like okay relax dude like i know you're talking to berkey but chill out you know don't be so nervous you don't want him to think you're like fanboying or something yeah and then i think they it was like the i'm assuming it's the film room because it was just like a huge screen and like a bunch of seating and stuff so i'm pretty sure that's probably where they watch film mm. so yeah so john set us up in there and it was just he was just sitting right next to me you know all comfortable all casual just talking to me And it was really weird because you know like i was telling you i played goalkeeper and like i actually my coach from club and stuff really preached like the modern goalkeeper play style nice so like even though i was goalkeeper i was also the only goalkeeper on our team and so like always throughout training i would always train with the field players and i'll only step in goal when we're doing shooting drills Mm. but if we're doing possession passing drills dribbling i was doing all that too nice and so i learned how to play with my feet and then obviously we love to play with the high line and like counter pressing stuff like that so it was like really important that i played off my line Mm. and so obviously berkey was a guy that you know i i admired and i was like dude this is this is the guy i need to look at if i want to be good like this is the guy i need to watch so from that and then obviously you know i play fifa (laughs) i play a lot of video games so i was like dude this guy i played fifa with him like i played (laughs) with boris adorman and he's right here and i'm talking to him yeah and i remember like yeah that was just like the first five minutes i was definitely just like you know kind of like oh my gosh like let me not mess this up. I can't let him. I can't let him know that I'm nervous. And then he's just such a cool guy. He's so like really relaxed. He's really, really nice, too. He's super nice. And so, it was just really easy to get comfortable and then, you know, just get into the flow of it and all that.
0: That's been my experience too. Like the first time I talked to him, I just couldn't believe he's just seems like a humble guy. Um, mm-hmm. and, but then you see him on the field and <laughs> I don't know. In fact, you're the perfect person to ask about this. You see goalkeepers yelling a lot, right? Yelling at people and maybe they're just trying to get their attention. Maybe they are mad about something, but what are goalkeepers communicating when, say a shot gets to goal that maybe he didn't want or is it a correction is it like hey get your stuff together or hey let's get the team together what is a goalkeeper usually shouting in those situations
2: yeah so it's definitely situational so like one thing is like you know i always learned is that like if you're playing in a game where you're not getting a lot of shots you're not seeing the ball Mm -hmm. actually like communicating and yelling at your teammates is like one way that i use that at least like stay focused in the game so whenever that moment did come, whenever you needed to be ready, like you were still engaged, like you weren't like falling asleep or nothing. Mm-hmm. But um, like, let's say for example, yeah, like, you know, usually it's because goalkeepers also. So lo- I like to say is that, like my job is to not stop shots, but to help my defense prevent shots. Uh-huh. Right. And so like one thing that I like to do is obviously as a goalkeeper, like we can see the entire field. And so usually I can see, you know, if my right back has a man on his back, like, Hey, like, don't forget like on your back or, Something like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if I tell him, hey, backside, back door, and then you know, the ball's on the other side, they cross it, and he's not watching his backside, the back door, and he gets a wide open shot, obviously, I'm gonna be upset. I'm gonna let him know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, yeah, it's just, I would say, most communication, if it's done well should never be like upset. It should always be like, you know, hey, back door. And ideally the defender would listen and be like, Okay, yeah, thanks. And then, you know, a shot never happens because, Mm -hmm. you know, he listens to your communication and it's not gonna be a surprise like, Oh damn, I didn't see this guy behind me. Like no. It's taken care of and it's covered and there's no shot on goal. I love that. In fact, that's one of the biggest examples I think of the
0: most um, with goalkeepers and defenses and fullbacks, especially is missing that back door, that cross to the backside. And Mm -hmm. St. Louis City has been very good. And I've always wondered we have so many options here, like, are the players just good about that? Is Berkey like on their butts, making sure they're good at that? But also, Carnell was a fullback, so it's just like yeah. maybe they're getting it from three yeah. from all sides there. I don't know, but City's been uh, pretty good at that throughout the season. But that's kind of what I wanted to lead into as well is like seeing Berkey in a video game and seeing um, these modern goalkeepers on TV. Can you talk about being a you know being taught the modern goalkeeper keeper style um, and? seeing it on TV but then like now we're watching Berkey do this live and I think that was when I was like oh my gosh when I saw it in person like yesterday I mean he had that crazy one yeah like what he's able to do like those I mean the passing and the throwouts are insane but also the thing that struck me the most was like how high he stays it feels it's uncomfortable to me at first you know I'm like dude they're gonna tip you or something yeah so talk about like what do you see in him in real life um, when you talk about those modern goalkeeper moves? Cause yeah, he's well, the epitome that, of
2: that, right? He is. The, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's from the Bundesliga, you know, Nor is the one that started all of this and, you know, that's the league he played in. So it just all stems from that. But um, one thing that is interesting that I, I obviously didn't get to include in that RFT piece was that, you know, Berkey was telling me, like we were kind of talking about, we were just talking about the technicalities of goalkeeping for a while. It was a lot of the stuff I didn't even include, but One thing that we're talking about was obviously, you know, so I'm 19, the generation of goalkeepers around my age, when I started training, you know, the modern goalkeeper had already, you know, been developed and that was like, you know, from the get go, we're training like this. But Berkey was, you know, talking to me about it, he's like, you know, when he was coming up, when he was a youth player, that wasn't really a thing yet. And it wasn't really until Neuer started that, you know, once he's like, I think he was barely a professional. He was like 17, 18. Hmm. So he hadn't done it his whole life. That's when he started training, like, okay, this is the new meta. This is the way I got to do it now. And then he just, you know, started training like that in a professional environment, which I think is like mind blowing, like even more impressive. Like you're doing this around the highest level players. Like, you know, if I did it, I was playing against, you know, youth players like, you know, I could probably get away with a mistake or two. But I imagine with professional players, you probably don't. But um Think about that.
0: I didn't know that. I guess I never thought about the timeline. But think about how good future goalkeepers are going to be. Oh yeah. train this way from you know youth from like the first year mm-hmm. they played. That's crazy to think about.
2: But yeah, it's just like you know, it's it's obviously I can understand from the outside. You know, if you're like in the stands and you're just watching this guy, like look how far he is from his goal. Like yeah. what is he doing? But I mean, when you're in that perspective, like. I don't know other way to explain it other than like last night, Berkey was talking about it in his press conference, but it's just like it's partly instinct, and it's also partly that like you've just done it so many times in training and. I don't know about him like obviously you know he probably doesn't but like Mm -hmm. i i made so many mistakes in training and so that's where i learned okay maybe i'm standing too much you know too much forward maybe i'm too far back that's why i didn't get to this ball Mm. okay maybe when the ball is coming this way i should probably get a little bit closer maybe i should be farther like i'm learning those things in training and so in the game you know it's a game environment even though obviously it's different you can never never create a training environment that it's exactly like a game Mm. but it's almost it's so similar that it's just like you've been there so many times that it's just like it's not a big deal and it just comes naturally at some point so that's kind of like what Berkey was talking about it's just like yeah it's not so risky from our perspective because Mm -hmm. it's instinct and then we just like train it so much that it just comes naturally he he said the same thing someone asked him because he had to
0: do the sweeper keeper thing last like last night like two or three times yeah and they said you know what's it like doing that and he kind of gave a long answer but mostly it was just like I had a very small window. I had to make the choice, and this time I didn't get it wrong. But he basically oh, yeah. like, it's just instinct. You know, you, you pick your moment and do it
2: yeah because i mean with goalkeeping like the minute you start thinking is the minute like it's over like okay. you're done already like yeah. you don't have time to think i mean like for example like on those like if you think for a second too long do i go do i not go by time you let's say you do decide to go you're getting there late you're just getting there late Fair. and by the time you decide to backpedal the striker's on the ball he's probably gonna chip you mm-hmm. so you have legit less than a second to make this decision and you just have to live with it at the end of the day any other burkey thoughts we got a lot more we can talk about but didn't want to cut you off in any way Oh, Berkey's, he, he plays with so much, I can't, it's just swag. He just plays with so much swag, so much style. It's so fun. It's just like, you know, I, I love, like I, I used to love too. like, I hated the traditional, you know, goalkeepers, long sleeves, tucked in shirt, long socks, or even the, <laughs> I hated the goalkeeper pants. I hated those. Yeah. Um, You know, I love like the goalkeeper that plays with the short sleeve, the short shorts, short socks. Like that was me. Like, it's just, I feel like goalkeeping now is like, it's part of, it's like a style it's like a style you have to have style like if you if you look across the field and you see this goalkeeper you know like i said with the long sleeves the pads on his shorts and you know, all that um it's just like ah oh, he's not intimidating oh, he's not that good like oh, it's gonna be an easy day but if you see this guy you know especially berkey like the short sleeve he wears his shirts kind of tight i never had that kind of confidence but he does <laughs> the shirt's kind of tight short sleeves you know he's doing the side of volleys yeah. he's doing long throws all easier like damn I don't know if we're scoring today or it's just more intimidating. I don't know. It's just, I think. I love it. I love
0: shirt. If you could, and can show off.
2: Your <laughs> <too>. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, that's what I, I, that's what also what I love about like the evolution of the goalkeeping position is just like, you, you there's so much style you can have now. Mm-hmm. Like I, obviously, you know, traditionally, like you think like, you know, when I was growing up, like Neymar, Ronaldo, like, you know, their style, like that was just wingers that could be cool. Yeah. Like goalkeepers weren't cool. Defenders weren't cool. But I like that now, you know, being a goalkeeper is kind of cool. And, like, you know, you can, like, look good while you're doing it, too. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Love that. Man, I'm
0: glad I'm glad you brought that up. That's very cool. Um, <laughs> let's talk about this season. Uh, you know, let's, I mean, we don't, we're not going to go in depth here. But, like, we clinched the playoffs last night. I mean, massive
2: Yeah. expansion side. I board. really wish for, I mean, the city of St. Louis that it would have happened, you know, while everybody was still there. I can't even imagine what it would have been like while everybody was still in the stadium that's true you know what I probably would have gotten another beer and just hung out for a while (laughs) you're right (laughs) I mean yeah I mean I I would wish I would hope that they you know the security people wouldn't start kicking people out or something Mm. because I mean that's just it's a crazy experience yeah Um, we have actually yeah I think the first time St. Louis FC
0: clinched that happened everyone just hung out on the field (laughs) for like an hour or more I don't even know how long it was Um, so that was a very special time so I do have something to relate to that but you know maybe in the future maybe next year and when we i mean the, the next playoffs. home
2: game is is uh is sporting um you're right isn't yeah. it so, i mean game. i mean if they want to be you know a little petty a little something maybe do something <laughs> to celebrate it but you know knowing knowing carnell and Lutz, say like, i don't they don't seem like type of people to celebrate something like that so i agree probably not it would be a good you know a good little good little dig at them but they probably wouldn't they'd be too focused on the game to do something like that yeah Uh, but I mean the game last night was
0: a tough one we can talk about LAFC if you want um, but also just like the expectations of this team from the beginning maybe what you thought this team was going to be at the beginning versus what happened I mean it's just been such an unexpected year I thought I'd give you a chance to kind of talk about any anything that struck you in those in those areas
2: yeah so obviously you know like I'm not going to sit here and tell you, like, oh my God, like, of course I saw this coming. Of course I saw them being, you know, mm-hmm. top of the Western Conference, being successful, you know, right. competing with the LAFC, beating all these good teams. But I just remember at the beginning just thinking, like, because I was obviously new into journalism and like being around the club. And I was just like, man, you know, like, I'm not a soccer expert, but like, you know, it seems like they're doing it the right way. I mean, they're recruiting people for, a, you know, for a certain play style. Like, if you don't fit the play style, they're not recruiting you're not joining this club Mm. and you know they everyone seems bought into it you know all these players the coaching staff you know the people behind the scenes and you know obviously there's a huge huge appetite for soccer in st louis the fan base is crazy and i was just like why not like you know i don't i don't i remember i did see all of that stuff too obviously people saying that they're going to be trash like bottom of the western conference and i remember like the beginning i was like there's no way these guys can be worse than like the rapids or something like there's no way there's no way like these guys you know they seem like they'll be legit and then i think i think it hit me that i was like okay like we're talking about like oof like a really really good team the cincinnati game Mm -hmm. obviously it was a blowout it was a huge thing but that was still pretty early on in the season i was just like damn like they're pretty good and like obviously seeing it live and stuff like that i was just like I don't know like I don't know when especially when they're on that win streak at the beginning of the season I, was, I genuinely thought I was like I don't know when they're gonna lose I do not know when they're gonna lose I thought I was gonna be into the Seattle game honestly but you know Minnesota had to ruin it a little bit that's true <laughs> yeah I mean, which was really disappointing that game was really frustrating I remember yeah, but
0: same it was more frustrating than the Seattle one in my opinion um,
2: but St. Clair to be fair St. Clair is also really really good I really like St. Clair well, and just the way
0: Minnesota plays, I think they're just like the nemesis style to City. You know, anyone that played that way, City City had trouble. I would say Portland was pretty similar in that regard. Oh my
2: God, the Portland game was also like that yeah. was on that was fifty fifty. Yeah. Um, and then now, I mean, it's gonna be tough because you know now Minnesota has Reynoso back. Right. Right. And they've been on fire right now. They've been pretty good. They've been pretty good. Yeah. So I remember I watched a lot of their games during Lease Cup, and I was pretty impressed. They're really good. Yeah, I'm a little bit
0: worried about this weekend. I think I I guessed it would be 1-0 City, but, you know, (laughs) like I said, I I think Minnesota is just one of those teams that's always going to do well against City Mm -hmm. as far as how they play versus how we play. But, um, yeah, any other games stick out to you this year? I think for me, like, the it was hard to to figure out when it was – because I felt good about several things. I felt good about Berkey being there, and I felt good about Parker, and I I couldn't believe – you know, when that article came out saying, like, City has the second or, or lowest uh, salary in the mm-hmm. in MLS, I was like, yeah, but, like, look how cheap these insanely good players have been. Um, mm-hmm. Like, that discount is worth, you know, it's almost <laughs> like saving a goal is a goal in itself. It's yeah. like saying that yeah. about saving money on someone like Berkey. Like, that that price tag was stupidly ridiculous. And so I think now we're seeing that that's true, but it was like, I still wouldn't let myself believe it for a long time. Was there like a moment where you started believing it? I guess it was that winning streak for me. It was that winning streak when Mm -hmm. the accident started happening every single game that city (laughs) was able to capitalize on, you know?
2: I mean, the moment I thought was like, so like, I'm not even going to lie. Like, you know, like whenever I first, you know, started covering the team, I was like, okay, I gotta know. Obviously I gotta know the players and so I remember I just looked at the roster and I was just like these are a bunch of guys like I don't even know like I don't even know any of these guys you know like I like to claim that like I'm a big FIFA head like if you you know the iconic you can show me any flag I can tell you exactly what flag it is Mm -hmm. you know stuff like that Um, but I was just like man like a lot of these guys I have no idea who they are but you know as soon as we got especially during that streak you know guys like Hebert oh my god like I think Hebert is amazing like I really think he's really good I mean if he's not huge he's not a big guy He's not the fastest guy, but he always seems to win all of his headers, yeah. always. He wins like almost every header. I remember me and um, uh, Jonah, Jonah from First Touch Media. Okay. Uh, when, I forgot what game it was, but we were watching. We were just like, let's just see how many duels Hebert's gonna win this whole game. And I don't remember what game it was. I cannot remember for the life of me, but I remember we watched the entire game, keeping track and he did not lose a single duel. We're just like, this is insane. <laughs> And, I mean, yeah, it's just like like you were saying. Like, just these guys they can just get for cheap that just bring tremendous value. Like, obviously, Akil Watts is doing amazing right now. But I think, you know, Nerwinski was solid. He's yeah. just solid. He's, he gives you, like, he gives you a good 7 out of 10 every game. And, I mean, I agree. What, what more can you ask for? Obviously, everybody makes mistakes occasionally, obviously. But, I mean, like, dude, like he's been playing amazing. Bartlett, Bartlett for a point in the season there, he was starting consistently. He was doing really good, too. I mean, you know a couple people i saw were like kind of upset that he was starting and stuff but i was like he's solid like i don't really see the problem with him he's a huge guy which is obviously intimidating he wins his headers maybe he's not like the best with his feet but like you know he just gets it out he wins his duels wins his tackles like what more do you want that's all you need from a center back it was definitely Um, useful for city
0: yeah and it's, yeah, you know, the to devs. think about guys like Indy Vasilev, Joe Akini,
2: Stroud, like these are guys that weren't being used by their team. Oh, I love, Shroud. I love Stroud. I <laughs> love Stroud. I always say Stroud. Stroud is a guy everybody needs a Stroud on their team. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of the same thing, kind of the same thing with Heber. Like, Stroud isn't super fast, he's not super strong. Stroud Shroud is just a dog. That's the best I can describe him. Yeah. He's just a dog. Like, he just, he's so fiery. He brings so much intensity, so much energy. And he's just He's just the type of guy That you need honestly Like it's I hate that He can't Obviously Obviously he can't start He can't play every game But like man I feel like when he does He always brings something He always just brings something And I think obviously the fans appreciate that a lot. It's that chaos, like the dog creating chaos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? like, yeah, it
0: works. But he is fast. I think I saw that he's like the fastest sprint in a game, either in MLS or on the team. I don't want to exactly. Oh really? It, but he is actually pretty damn fast
2: inside of a game. You know, like real mm. speed versus game speed is different. Yeah, so maybe that's yeah. It. I mean, I think I think when I'm trying, maybe he's like. I don't know if I would say like long distance, but like in those quick little bursts, which he loves to do. Cause he's just like, I don't know. He just, I can't even explain. It. I just really love watching him play. I like just how he just gets into everything. gets stuck in. Agree, he's agree. always arguing with the refs, arguing with players. I love it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, dude, I thought he'd be suspended like three more times and he, he, he cooled
2: off a little bit on, on yeah on, on the crazy stuff. Um, and I mean, yeah. And then we we're talking about it last night too. One last thing, like yeah. Parker, he's just old school. Like we're talking about how, uh, like, whenever he just you know shoulder bumps somebody, he just mm, like he doesn't ex- he doesn't have to extend. He just he's just like square. He's just all square. Just boom, running into it's like you are into a brick wall or something. He runs like you know he's really like. Like he's like a, a like a truck or something is coming at you. Yeah. So yeah, it's
0: Parker's been really really good too. His sprints are uh, like hundred and ten percent every time. I mean, it's yeah. like yeah, yeah. He, His face goes from all all pure white to pure red. It's awesome. <laughs> um, and I my favorite move from him, and he hasn't gotten a, a yellow from it yet, and I don't even know if he's been called uh, for a penal, uh, for a, a foul yet. But when he just knocks someone over outside the box on the flank, like he does it all the time. <laughs> And they always go down and look for like raise their hands like where's the yeah. foul? They never get it.
2: That's, yeah, that's my
0: favorite. It's that experience. That
2: experience knows when to do it and when not to do it.
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, how about the playoffs? Or do you want to talk about the LAFC game last night? Um, the playoffs is crazy. Did you? I didn't realize this. I'm gonna get this wrong if we try to go into too much detail. But
2: like this
0: three game
2: first round, did you know about yeah. that? it's really different now like I again I don't also don't know like the logistics all I know is that the first round is really weird it's like best of three obviously the higher seed gets the home and field advantage but yeah. it's just like I don't know I don't understand I'm not like a big fan of like you know letting as many teams as possible into the playoffs like I feel mm-hmm. like getting to playoffs should be pretty exclusive like it should be the legit best teams and you know keep it traditional like I don't really understand why you're trying to get all these teams in, and then three games, like, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it, honestly, but...
0: I guess the answer typically with MLS is it's a money grab. I guess that's yeah. my, my default there. Um, but pretty crazy. It, it still It feels good that City's in, and it feels good that it was, like, the first to be in with room to spare. Now, like, that's mm-hmm. not good enough. Now, like, first in the West is, is the goal. Like you yeah. said, like, Carnell and Lutz, like, they're not... I think they very shortly uh, celebrated, and I think everybody wants more, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: for sure. So I'm looking forward. I hope we get that first in the West, and I'd really love to make it to. I don't know how you feel about this, but I really want
2: them to get into the Concacaf Champions Cup, is what it's called now. I mean, I mean, who wouldn't? It's a international competition. Obviously, play against you know different sides. Mm-hmm. I feel like you know, I'm not gonna lie. Obviously, it's not obviously the atmosphere and stuff at city park is crazy and it's like it definitely makes a huge difference it makes a huge difference but i mean i feel like it'd be good too for the teams to go away to like you know like el salvador to honduras to costa rica to mexico and play a game down there like if that's a good experience for anybody like if you watch those games like oh my god they get crazy you know the fields are not the best the fans are wild the facilities are, you know, subpar. It's definitely not MLS standards. I yeah. feel like MLS, like, you just get, not necessarily pandered, but, you know, you live pretty good. You know, you're going to nice stadiums, nice cities. The people, yeah, they're not, like, going to love you, but they're not, like, hostile. Mm-hmm. When you go down there, it gets, like, hostile. You know, it gets, like, they start doing fireworks inside your hotel and stuff like that. Like, that's, that's a good experience mm-hmm. for any team, I feel like.
0: I agree. And actually, that's what Carnell said about when Club America – Put the stink on us. I mean, it was bad. Oh, yeah. um But I think, Ml You know, I think City was doing so well in MLS. They saw like another gear. And the way Carnell put it was like, yeah, even if we're first in the West, we're nowhere near beating someone like Club America. Like, so we can be better. And it would be cool to play them more often. So that because I think it would make us that much better.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, and I mean yeah, that game was like that was. I remember before the game, I was just like, man, like. Obviously, you know, I, so I go for I go for the arch rivals. I go for Chivas, mm-hmm. um so, and obviously, I since I follow Liga MX, I follow you know the games and the teams. And I was just like, man, like kind of the same thing. Like, yes, City's good; they're definitely really good, but America, like, that's just there's just levels to it. You know, there's yeah. just levels to And it. America. It's just it was a whole another level. And I think honestly, honestly, that's the only game so far where I legitimately I watched the game and I was like, yeah, like this other team that city's playing against just like way better like it's not even close yeah i feel like every other game you know like even the seattle was 3-0 lafc the other lafc was 3-0 like i feel like those are flattering score lines because for most of the game city was in it mm-hmm. you know it wasn't you know like a domination but the america game was just they were running wild like it honestly could have been way more could have yeah. been way more
0: that's the first time cuz I thought in this system I thought this system would is kind of like the great equalizer where every game mm-hmm. you're going to feel like you're in it no matter what. But, you know, I think we saw and I guess I I was like, "Well, don't forget Phil. Sure Liverpool plays a pressing system, but so does Leeds United. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like yeah. we were kind of Leeds in that moment playing someone yeah. like Man U or Man City. Um, yeah. So it's not always the great equalizer." Yeah. But
2: yeah, I mean, I think CONCACAF Cup, right? It's what it's called now, CONCACAF Cup, right? CONCACAF
0: Champions Cup, yes, I think. Oh,
2: Champions Cup, all right, there (laughs) you go.
0: Uh,
2: Yeah, it'd be good. I mean, get another competition. The only thing, obviously, you got to consider is that, you know, the mileage on the legs, another competition they got to compete in. But, I mean, with the roster depth that they got, I mean, probably shouldn't be an issue, but that's the only thing you got to kind of worry about a little bit. Yeah. And you
0: could even argue that, I mean, LAFC has been fine. They played in the CONC CCL this year. Uh, but I think Seattle may have too. And some people say that's kind of why Seattle's fallen off a cliff at the end of the season. But, I don't know. I don't care. I want to see it happen. And we can yeah, learn yeah. And, and, pl- and plan for it better next year if, if we don't do yeah. enough this year. I don't care. Um, I, let's go. We have a good question here. STL City Italians asked. Uh, it's related to this. Are we seeing a slip in form from the first year Euro slash MLS players going into the last stretch of the year? It's a lot of games, travel, workload. What do you think? you think it's catching up to them or do you think they're doing fine with rotation and all that kind of stuff?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, it's just rotation. Obviously, you know, like, they're not, like, robots. Like, there's going to be stretches where they're not. I think, obviously, too, it's just everybody We've kind of been, like, spoiled in a way. Like, Luvin's been amazing. Like, I just know. 8 out of 10, 9 out of 10 every single game. And the moment he doesn't get, like, an assist every – because there was a moment he was getting assists almost every game. <laughs> You're yeah. just like, oh, my God, this guy is just on fire. You know, that's not – it's not feasible to keep it up for you know 34 match days like it's just not and then obviously got a little injury like you know but the one thing i will admit though is it's kind of crazy When i was just thinking about this a couple hours ago i was like this season started in the end of february it's about to be october it could go on until the end of november like that's a crazy long season really and the only significant break they got was for leagues cup which was like three three weeks three-ish week something like that and they play through this last international window i mean it's like come on yeah it's just i mean there's been a lot of debate and stuff and i'm all for it like about like you know reforming the mls schedule because it's just yeah i don't know it's just too much and for for what like i don't understand why they have to play 34 games too i feel like that's excessive because there's so many teams yeah because you know traditional leagues have 18 to 20 teams mls has 31 now in total 30 is is san Diego's 31 or 32 i don't remember something like that but it's still way too many games then in the western conference there's 14 teams like it's just i don't know i feel like there's a way to get it, the game the games down yeah i think it'd be easy actually i can think of several ways to do it just off to the, the, the top yeah of the i mean but it's not uh, impossible right and then obviously you know making it so it's not Almost an entire year that you're playing. I think it was Hebert that mentioned it in a press conference how this MLS season is just crazy because, like, they start obviously preseason in January. Yeah. Then the season could potentially not end until like the end of November, which is almost December, which is like, that's way too much. That's yeah. way too much. I mean, that's the, like maybe
0: that's the bright side of the the Club America loss and bombing out of a uh, League's Cup. I mean, I don't. It doesn't. It didn't bother me at the time. It doesn't bother me now. But I guess mm-hmm. one thing I do remember is like you got to think about weather, um, and the good and bad of that. I know Berkey didn't really complain about anything all year except for. <laughs> The amount of games because of the weather, you know, like how freaking hot it gets in Missouri and much less, you know, some of the southern cities Mm -hmm. during the summer. And um, so I I think that really got to them in the middle of the season. Hopefully that break after League's Cup helped with that, skipping those games. And now, like, Mm -hmm. weather's not a problem. Maybe that's the bright side. Um, but I know that like the European players, like it just doesn't get this hot in the
2: middle, yeah, you know,
0: Western Europe kind of stuff. So, and like by
2: now, their season's either over, they get like a break, like they're used to getting the international windows as breaks. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, those that's huge, but you just kind of have to deal with it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um,
0: a lot of these questions are going to be a little too technical for us. It's like, we need a Matt Baker here for these kinds of things. <laughs> um, let's see if I can. Ask one more. So STL City Italians also asks, will we be able to lock in a starting 11 by playoff time? This is a good one for you because me I, and Matt, I think we almost do. Yeah. So what is he, who is a good, bad matchup for the first round? And what would your starting 11 be? And how heavy should the rotation be in the playoffs? Some of those are going to be every three um, day games.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think honestly, like, I, I, it hasn't been published yet, but I'm I'm mentioning it in my piece about last night's game. I think the last, the starting lineup from yesterday is probably the strongest one they could put out right now. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I all those players, I mean, I I hate that Joel Kini can't get in there. I hate it because he's obviously when Klaus was out, he kind of put the team on his back there for a minute. I think there was like a stat he scored like all of City's goals like in three straight games, something like that. Mm. He scored like a goal for three straight games, and like those are the wins that those are how they got the victories and stuff. But um, I love a and I love a and <laughs> He's he's really good. He's really really good. Um, he frustrated me
0: last night a little bit um, just because. I think he's big and so we I would expect him to get a, a long ball and like bring be able to bring it down every time and, and pass it off. But that's not his thing. Like his thing no. is running downhill and we saw it oh, a few times yeah. and he's oh,
2: very, my God. very, very good at that yeah it's because and also too because he's so big like it's easier for him while he's making those he's making those long strides yeah. he can keep the ball away from the defender get, like it's crazy when you just see after i think the left back was uh what's what's his name palencia palencia yeah mm-hmm. i mean he's a small guy and there was a couple times where a dinner and went down that wing and he just like glided right past them like nothing i was like dang but yeah i mean that that type of wide play that dinner in brings is just like huge like it's so big agree i think maybe he could be a little bit more clinical at times. I'm not going to lie. But, I mean, he gets himself in such good positions or, you know, his teammates obviously in good positions that, I mean, he's – you just have to start him. But He um, looked like at the beginning of this season – sorry, I keep cutting you off, but I like – No,
0: you're good. You're, I'm good, you're on, good. I'm big on Sam too. But, like, at the beginning of this season and in the off season, I was like, oh, man – that he's gonna be like a third-string striker. He is. He has that USL touch, that like long touch, and run onto it, and like USL guys can't catch you. But he had to adjust, and I was shocked when he came back from San Antonio. I didn't expect yeah. that he adjusted his touch. You know, like he mm-hmm. was able to to get on um, free kicks and stuff like that, and head them in, and then score these crazy goals that are like. He's able to disguise his finish like and get these weird angles that you don't think he's going to get with with power with a quick release like Mm -hmm. he is like that's when um, when Manuel started bragging on him at that point. I was like, no, you're right. Like he's gotten to that next level and now people Mm -hmm. are looking at him
2: abroad yeah but definitely i mean what i think city's best formation whatever their best 11 is going to be like i think it has to be the two strikers yeah i think they play so much better and they have those two strikers playing off of each other and like they, it has to be
0: and they press better too i think
2: in my yeah opinion. definitely definitely and i mean in like obviously in the transition moments it's easier when you got two guys up there ready for it yeah um and obviously because joe not huge but he's good at keeping the ball a and Klaus are really good at keeping the ball backing down to center back, Mm -hmm. you know, holding up play. Klaus is really good. He loves coming down, you know, towards the midfield to get the ball and then taking it from there. um, Which obviously draws out defenders and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, I think the 11 we saw last night, I think is pretty, pretty close to the best 11 we're going to get. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's like,
0: it's like a first 11 with the diamond versus the first 11 with two wingers. Like, that's the only difference, right? Like, yeah. do we want Indy in there or do we want to add two wingers and a striker, you know, or two strikers or like a 10? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't matter to me because, like, I could take last night or I could take um, Stroud um, and uh, I forgot. Oh, yeah, when Azil Jackson and Stroud played together, I think, the other day. As a four-four-two flat four-four-two, like that was pretty awesome. So you know, like I, either one of that, thing that either of those
2: two games, somewhere between those two is fine with me. One thing that definitely I think has made a difference, and like obviously I have. I haven't been around because I was, you know, I went back home for the summer, so I didn't really get to, you know, be around the team as much. But I don't want to slaughter his name, so you might know how to pronounce it. But the new left back, uh, Markin Markinick. Is that how you say Markenick? We just got some inside
0: an inside scoop that everyone's saying Markanic and it's I think it's Markanic. We just figured out that everyone's been it wrong. Yeah. <laughs>
2: okay, well Markanich, he's really good. He's yeah. so smooth on the ball. He's like I I mean, obviously, you know, left footed players are just so much more appealing to watch, mm-hmm. but he's like he's tall he's lanky he's good on the ball like you saw like there was that run in the first half in the first half where he flopped to try and get the peak i don't really think he touched him it didn't look like anybody touched him but i mean the dribbling was insane to get through there yeah, i agree stuff like that his offensive ability is really good and that's made a difference because obviously heber did a really good job like amazing we're playing out of position yes. a right-footed left back like that's not easy it mm-hmm. is not easy and um, he tried, obviously. He did his best, you know, trying to get forward and, like, help out. But he's he's just not that guy. You know, he's definitely way better on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, yeah. But Markinich is – he's so good. But I think both ways. See, there was a couple times where he got beat, obviously, uh, for speed. It wasn't necessarily dribbling. It was just speed. I think the other winger on his side was – Oliveira. Oliveira? Yeah. Oliveira, oh yeah. Gosh. Oliveira. That he's, dude is so him fast. Him and Bulanga, they're both rapid, like, yeah. just quick. Um, but, I mean, that's just – you know one guy faster than another it's not oh my god he just he can't defend one v one it's just i mean he's just faster what are you gonna do yeah um but he's i think he's made a huge difference and now especially by playoff time he'd have a couple games with the system be more comfortable Mm -hmm. hopefully get some form like he's gonna be i think he's gonna He's maybe makes a huge difference for this team now to have like an actual really really good left left footed left back that can attack
0: yeah and I mean, they rotated, you know, they're careful about not sending both fullbacks up. Plus, we got blown and you could tell like Oliveira was like running people ragged in the first 20 minutes. And yeah. you could tell, like, I think I saw four different guys defend him on the same flank, like, you know, yeah. probably eight to 10 different times in the first 20 minutes. And it's cool. They were able to rotate and everybody contained him. I do think mm-hmm. he is one of those like Deandre Yedlin type like <laughs> burners that can't quite finish the yeah. job, you know? So
2: I think that was yeah. in our
0: favor as well, but, um, and
2: also too, I mean, we can't forget like Boanga got himself in some pretty good dude, spots. He just yes. couldn't provide the finishing touch, but yeah. there was a couple of times where I was like, damn, like he's, he's getting there. That's kind of worrying, but, He didn't finish.
0: I think if you put Klaus on LAFC in that game, it would have been like (laughs) (laughs) 3-0. They needed just a Klaus. Like, they're missing that number nine because I thought their number
2: nine was Gonzalez or something. He was a little weak. The Spaniard. Yeah, Yeah, he was not good at all. He, I mean, he was not that good. And then obviously, like, when Vela came in, like, Vela... He's just old now. He's not as good as he was before. He's a little bit lazier. Like, it's just... Plus, he's not... They a really nine. have striker play. Yeah. yeah, they were trying to use him as a nine. He right. tried to be like a little false nine. Yeah. It just... It didn't really work, but... Yeah. Well, what do you think? We should wrap it up.
0: I've, I've kind of blabbed long enough, um, and I've really enjoyed talking soccer with you. Um, it's probably... Uh, this may sound less like a podcast and more like two city fans just chatting, but that's, that's what it is. Sometimes, um, last thoughts on city, like the end throughout the rest of the season, what your experience has been with them this season and, and just covering them, like, how's it been this year for you? And, and what do you expect the rest of it to be?
2: Yeah. So like, obviously so far it's been like, like crazy. There's no other way I can describe it other than just wild, crazy. I mean, obviously I'm still, when I started, I was still 18. I was a freshman. Like it was all new, Obviously, there's the aspect of, you know, being one of very few, you know, journalists of color and stuff like that in environment. And then just kind of like I have like this big um, I don't know who would call it, maybe like a principle or a value of like trying to be my authentic self. I'm really one thing that I really struggle with. And like I try to counter a lot is like, what does it mean to be professional? Like, why can't I dress however I want to dress or look however I want to look or be just be me like where where like I have like some really big earrings on like wear like these huge earrings and not be professional like who gets to decide what is and what isn't and so a big thing that I like to do is like you know try and be myself and hopefully like kind of show that you know people like me or from my background can also do stuff like this like also cover soccer teams be professional journalists be mm. professional writers I guess you could say like it's not like out of the ordinary or something so I just hope. For the rest of the season for me personally i keep continuing to you know do a good job represent myself and my community in a good way and then in terms of city i think i think they can get pretty far i mean you know knock on wood hopefully they stay healthy mm. and i think if they stay healthy like with the depth even though they're playing you know games every every three days or something with the depth that they have it should be fine because it's honestly kind of almost like a like a plug and chug system you know you could put somebody in to just do a role Mm. and usually nine times out of ten they're able to do that role and that's all you need so i think they can get pretty far
0: i agree and i think especially if if the games come in quick and hot like i think they're one of the best teams at rotating because of the Mm -hmm. because of the depth you know i don't even think you have to say depth as far as like quality from top to bottom it's just like depth of the
2: system itself like people just they know their the players just know yeah. their role and they do their role and that's all they need to do yeah and then obviously some guys bring a little bit of extra technical ability or that little nuance that makes them probably you know the lockdown starters yeah but you know anybody on that bench even some of the guys that don't even get to make the game day roster good enough to play like we didn't get to talk about it, but pompeo i love pompeo i love pompeo i wish he could play so much more me too but I do too. Um, Maybe I.
0: I. To be honest, I think in two years he's gonna have that final product, and I think he's gonna be pretty. Yeah, I think he's gonna be pretty (laughs) awesome. Uh, But I I love like the, the addition of Thor, Thorson. Like, I think he's like like perfect, the perfect last little piece. Cause he's not like a young developmental player. I forgot how I mm-hmm. forgot he was like only he's 28 or 29 or something, but like, yeah. it's, we just needed someone that's like the ball's going to fall to you and, and we just need someone to finish. And that's what he is. <laughs> like he's finds yeah. himself in good spots and he, he does it. And he's already gotten us a win or close to a win um, just in a few games. So I thought he was perfect. Um, I love to eat let, Let's just close with this because I like what you said about, uh, being yourself in being professional at the same time. Like I was thinking, as you said that, like, it's cool that there are, I think we're getting there because I think we see these guys on, you know, if you're watching um, like the champions league coverage, you know, you're getting like Dempsey and adieu and um, you know, like they're just being themselves up there. Um, mm-hmm. But on the English speaking side, like it's all, yeah, there's no Latino guys on the English side, so it's kind of... I, I don't know. I think that's also part of what I liked about you, is I could tell you weren't putting on airs. You weren't trying to sound cool. You were just, like, mm-hmm. being yourself. Um, you know, I thought you represented yourself as far as the way you looked as well, and it didn't come across as unprofessional. And I, I mm-hmm. like that organizations are accepting that. And like, city doesn't care. No one in that press room thought
2: you were unprofessional in any way. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, mm-hmm. Did you feel like yeah, you were presenting yourself in the way you wanted in those situations too
2: yeah of course always like i mean also that too i mean everybody's amazing like everybody obviously all the media members um the people the staff at city like everybody's great everybody's super nice super welcoming super supportive like obviously you know like i was saying yesterday was my first match back since april Hmm. so i've not been around for a while and everybody noticed that i was gone you know Um, you know welcome back like how have you been like Finally, you're back, you know stuff like that, so obviously it was also mm-hmm. it was a really nice touch to you know know that I'm valued there, and that like you know my my absence didn't go unnoticed, you know mm-hmm. what I mean that's also I really appreciated that, and yeah, like I like to think that I'm doing my best, you know I'm really trying to just be me and like I said, just represent myself and more broadly like my culture and my my people in a good way, good, well, we'll have to have you talk about that more next time you're on.
0: Uh... <laughs> Julian, say your name for me the way that it should be said. So I prefer
2: Julián Trejo. Oh God, Julián Trejo.
0: Okay, I'm gonna work I on that.
2: We need something next time. We do. Something got it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> dude,
0: I have never heard the J pronounced that way. Is that like a an accent thing, or is that just like every white guy just gets it wrong? <laughs> is that all? Yeah, that I is? think it's just every
2: white guy gets it wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because in Spanish the J is like who like. Yeah, oh, like Julian. Yeah, like it's like that. It's not like ja, It's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a, yeah. I have a
0: cousin in law. I guess you could call him, whose name I, I just say Julian because I think he got sick of me mispronouncing Julian.
2: <laughs> yeah, see, I get all the time Julian. Yeah. or yeah, Julian is the common one, and it's just like you know. I, I just prefer. I don't mind Julian. You know, I don't mind Julian, but <laughs> if I can get the Julian, I'd rather get the Julian. Obviously. Okay, I'm gonna work on it for
0: next time, and hopefully <laughs> after the 10th or 11th episode, you're on. I'll I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> Thanks again, man, for coming on. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, we'll bring you on again soon. I hope.
2: All right. Thank you so much.